Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, creator and host of The Last Symptom. Appreciate you joining me again this week. As always, we've got lots of great things to talk about. Uh, you'll notice, those of you who are watching this, rather than just listening, that uh, I'm in a different location. And the reason for that is that I've got major electrical electrical problems in my workspace. So, uh, got to have an electrician come out and do some upgrades. And in the meantime, I'm just looking for any corner where I can record the show. So, anyway, I'm glad you're here. Um, another thing is that COVID, you know, uh, in the last, in the previous episode, I talked about how uh, I was all recovered from COVID. I don't think so. Uh, I think that I'm the the victim of this thing they're calling COVID rebound, where you, you feel like you're, you're all better for a day or two, and then it comes back. So, that's what I'm dealing with today. Uh, we'll get through this show here. Let's go ahead and do the announcements, and that way they'll be out of the way, and then we don't have to worry about them no more. Uh, TheLastSymptom.com, that's my website. Please check it out. There are free and paid resources there. I'd like you to take advantage of both of them. The free resources I'm happy to provide. Uh, The paid resources, of course, uh, support my efforts. And uh, probably the most important paid resource that I have there is the... uh, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, which is a two-week pre-recorded course uh, that is designed to help you get to the root of why uh, you have an emotional disorder and how to eliminate it. How did it get there? How do you undo those uh, very entrenched perspectives and attitudes that are leading to these emotional issues? Uh, the course is designed to help you do that. So check that out over at thelastsymptom.com. My Last Symptom community is now on the Locals platform, and you can get there by going to thelastsymptom.locals.com. That's spelled L-O-C-A-L-S. Another way you can do it is you can just download the locals.com app from the App Store, have the fancy app on your phone and then you just search for the last symptom by brian barnett is there anything else i want to say about those sorts of things before we move on oh well as i mentioned earlier the last symptom podcast has been available as a a video in addition to just audio now for about the past what you say folks seven nine months something like that and uh, it looks like it's going to be a permanent 
aspect of my work. So please sign up and subscribe to the Last Symptom YouTube channel. A backup, a really important backup that uh, I'd like to direct you to is Rumble, the Rumble platform. So you can download that app and subscribe to The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett on Rumble as well and, and then enjoy all the videos that that I create. Person on one of my videos here this earlier this week left this comment and the, the video itself was about how searching out many different sources of information often is a way it's either a subconscious or an unconscious way for us to just avoid doing the things we, we just got to hunker down and do. Um, but the person wrote this comment. He says, the problem is you're not 100% accurate or correct. So other information is necessary to get a more accurate picture. And I replied, okay, you tell me the things I'm not 100% accurate about. And this will tell me if you're not confusing your own failure to see and understand as being things that I'm wrong about. You know, that's, uh, I've been doing this for about four years now, and every time that, that is the problem. Person say, you're wrong about this. And I'll say, okay. Well, I know I'm not wrong about that. So the, there's, another, there's another explanation though another very reasonable explanation and the reasonable explanation is that you're just not getting it you know think about that how often do you jump to that conclusion this person is absolutely wrong when in reality you're you're just not seeing what they're trying to explain you're not getting it you know got my cat compass here trying to knock over my camera don't really appreciate that, but she's she's been real friendly here lately. Come on here up here, Compass. Here's, there's Compass's butt here in the camera. Um, this is different for all of you, ain't it? <laughs> You're used to seeing my puppies. You're not used to seeing my cats. Okay, so back to this uh, not being 100% accurate. The person replied with a very nice reply. He says, your work is helpful to more people than just borderline personality disorder. Like me, with my depression. He says, your audience is way bigger than just BPD people. Well, you know, i got to make a correction there. I can't let that stand unchallenged. There is no such thing as BPD people. There's no such thing. There are people... And there are people who have borderline personality disorder, but they're still people. They're not some new category of person. So there's no such thing as BPD people. He goes on to say, for example, where you are inaccurate. In your work about capacity versus ability, your neglect and torture. People are capable of things, but in some cases, only if they torture themselves in order to achieve this. So people might be capable of doing certain things, but it's not always healthy to achieve those things. As an example, me with my autism, he says I could torture myself all the time in order to behave like I would not have autism. Therefore, I am capable 
of behaving normal, but forcing myself to do it would be unhealthy. This shows that you not only need to take a look at what people are capable of, but also how much torture they need to be able to live up to their capabilities. Well, I appreciate the comment, but there's a few corrections I'd like to make. In the comment, he says, people might be capable of doing certain things, but only if they torture themselves in order to achieve this. Then he goes on to describe something that is very similar to the reality that I once lived, to the reality I watched my father live. And that is, let's just take temper, for example, right? Anger. The attempt to try to white knuckle, prevent yourself from mistreating others with anger to try to hold yourself back from verbally abusing people. Now, here's what the, the, uh, the person who left the comment is completely failing to acknowledge in my work, is that I have never, that has never been my approach to say, because you're capable of something, you should just prevent yourself from doing it. Let me see if I can explain that a little bit better. Just because you are capable of not verbally abusing somebody does not mean that then the answer is for you to just resist doing it. That's not the answer. That's never been the answer that I've... That's never been my approach. It wasn't my approach in my own case. And it's never been my advice for anybody else. What has been my advice? My advice has been, you have the capability not to do it, but you still have to figure out why you're doing it in the first place. It's not just a matter of not doing it. You have to get down to the the fundamental causes of what is making you do that. Come on, Compass, you gotta let me do this show. You gotta let me do this show, girly girl. So, I appreciate the person's reply, but he is failing to factor that in. That I don't just talk about capacity versus ability and then say, well, because you're capable of it, just from sheer will, you've gotta do what you're capable of. No, there's more to it than that. He's failing to factor in that another imperative component of my work is addressing underlying causes rather than these superficial white-knuckle approaches. So when you combine the two things, capacity versus ability, and everything that I've taught you about that, and you combine that with getting down to the fundamental causes of things rather than superficial approaches, then I'm not wrong He's just not factoring in the entirety of the thing that I'm presenting as a, a finished puzzle or as a, a completely finished woven tapestry, right? He's just isolating one part of what I teach and saying that it doesn't apply or, or you're getting it wrong. Let's go back to uh, anger or abuse. I have the capacity, everybody does to not be abusive to those I care about. But what if it's agonizing for me 
this torture that he's describing, you know, he's not speaking about literal torture. He's he's talking about the an intense difficulty in behaving a certain way or in resisting a certain uh, tendency. So, according to my work, the last symptom, and maybe I haven't communicated it well enough. So. That's a possibility that I haven't communicated it well enough. But if it's torture for you to resist a certain behavior or to avoid a certain thing, um, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. See, if I'm just holding back frustration and anger around my daughter, even if I'm real successful at it a lot of the time, but if I'm holding it back, like I've got my back to the door and I'm trying to keep a velociraptor from coming in, and I'm constantly like holding that, that pressure back against that door, I'm doing it the wrong way. That's a failed and pointless approach. Just recognizing your capacity for a thing is not enough. Think about this. I recognize, I fully recognize my capacity to speak German. I possess that capacity. Do you, do you folks remember what the difference is between capacity and ability? Capacity is an inherent possibility that exists within you. So I have the capacity to speak German. I don't have the ability. Why don't I have the ability to speak German? Because I have not learned. I've not shown an interest in it. I've not put in the work. I've not learned. So there's a perfect example of where just me recognizing that I have the capacity to speak German does not help me speak German. So the really what this person is kind of insinuating uh, without really thinking it through I believe is that just because I recognize that I have the capacity to speak German now just by through sheer will I should be able to force myself to do it. No, not without learning German not without sitting down, memorizing words, learning the grammar, and practice. Those things are still required. Me recognizing my capacity for that thing is not enough in and of itself. So if you think about it in reverse, my capacity, uh, me recognizing or accepting that I have the capacity, and it's true, I do and everybody else does. The only exception is if you have a mental illness, a literal mental illness where your your mental faculties are malfunctioning. They are not operating the way they're meant to. That is the only exception that I can think of. But everybody has the capacity to treat to not mistreat people. And it, so you know this is the reverse of what we were saying. Uh, just a second ago with the German. The reverse being that uh, instead of doing a thing because we recognize we have the capacity for it, in this case we're talking about resisting doing a thing because we have the capacity to not do that thing. We have the capacity to not mistreat people. But is it enough for me to just say, well, I have the capacity. I have the capacity not to mistreat people. No. They, just like the German where you got to sit down and memorize things and put in the work just like that with 
not mistreating people. There's work to do. And that work is, why am I mistreating people in the first place? That's the start. To not be abusive to those I care about, I have to honestly identify the underlying causes for the underlying frustration and anger that I live with and address that. The idea is to address true underlying causes so that you don't then have to white-knuckle anything. The last symptom, my focus here with the last symptom is on creating conditions so that natural behaviors are able to happen naturally and that old behaviors fade away and, and die. They go away naturally. A person is, doesn't have to force himself not to mistreat others. He just doesn't mistreat others as a naturally occurring result of new perspectives and new attitudes. You know, think about this. Anytime you're white-knuckling a thing or you know, it's requiring tremendous restraint or torture uh, like this person describes, um, that's just an example of going through motions. You're just going through motions. You're going through motion, the motions of fake and forced behaviors. And another important thing to recognize and to keep in mind is that being abusive to others is not a problem. I know that sounds strange, but it's not a problem. It's a symptom of a problem, and it's problematic, but it's not the problem. What's the problem? Compass, you're going to go away. No. So... Let's, let's walk through it. What is the problem for somebody who's abusive? It, the abuse itself or the abusive language or the abusive behavior for anybody who's been affected by it, would you know, it's very easy to say that that is the problem, right? That's the thing you want to fix. But if you think about it, when I have a brain tumor, the thing that's bothering me the most are the headaches, right? They're ruining, they're destroying my life. But are the headaches the problem? No. So it's a misidentification, even though they're, they're really unpleasant, to say that the headaches are the problem. Whatever is causing the headaches, in this case a brain tumor, is the problem. And it's true with mistreatment too and abusive behavior. Abusive behavior, we want to identify that as a problem, but it's not. It's a, it's a symptom of a problem. The problem is the perspectives at the root of it all. What are the perspectives and attitudes that the, per, the abusive person lives with that are generating the feelings of frustration and discontent, which then later manifests as abusive words or behavior toward others? So when speaking about capacity, is it enough for the person to say, I just I have the capacity to not be abusive. No, there's work to be done. And the work is identifying those underlying perspectives and attitudes. You see, what happens when you identify and correct unhealthy attitudes which are creating tremendous frustration and anger within a person? You correct those 
and now the attitudes and perspectives that a person lived with are naturally, as a naturally resulting consequence, generating feelings of tranquility and peace and affection. Does that person have to go and then um, white-knuckle force himself not to be abusive to others? No, because the frustration and angst and anger that he was previously living with is no longer there. When speaking about capacity, the real issue is, will the individual use his capacity to identify and correct the underlying perspectives he's living with that allows him to mistreat others? You know, this is worlds different than simply trying not to mistreat people while never addressing the underlying causes of where it all originated from in the first place. A person who identifies and fixes the underlying perspectives that are given birth to such inner conflict and frustration and finds peace within himself does not then have to does not then have to go through life trying not to be abusive to others. He just doesn't be abusive naturally because the causes that once existed aren't there anymore. So anybody who feels tortured by the exertion of restraining themselves from a thing, they're doing it wrong. Done correctly, there is none of this white-knuckle torture because you've addressed the underlying causes and now your thinking, feelings, behaviors just naturally reflect these new attitudes and perspectives. Any discontent or frustration or angst that a person is experiencing within himself or herself must be analyzed. You must get to the whys. Why do you feel angst? Why do you feel frustration? Why do you feel anger? These are not normal conditions for people. Do you understand that? It's like, I'll tell you what it's like. It's very strange. And, um, you know, I also was guilty of this when I was unhealthy, but think about getting a splinter in your toe or let's say uh, let's say you got a broken toe okay whatever but let's say that you're just walking around all the time going man such discomfort it's so there's so much discomfort when I walk oh well guess that's just the way things are you wouldn't do that would you you'd say I gotta man I gotta stop in fact I just took a walk with my daughter the other day around the neighborhood and she did that. She said, oh, I, got, I got to stop. I said, what's going on? She says, I got, my, my foot is hurting. And so she took off her shoe and she analyzed her foot. I took a look at her foot and we couldn't find anything. So we put, put her shoe back on. She walked a little bit. She, it's still hurting. I want to stop again. Let's take a look. Took her shoe off and she had a little kind of a raw spot. She wasn't wearing any, any socks. Cannot get this girl to wear shoes. She's like the female version of Mowgli off the Jungle Book. Girl just does not like shoes. I think she's going to grow up and move to the jungle. But took her shoe off, and she had a raw spot there on her ankle. So the point of this is that even she knows. At How old, how old is my daughter? <laughs> she's seven. Even my daughter knows at seven years old that that is not normal. That is not the the baseline right state of the experience of walking when you walk that is not the baseline of how it's supposed to be that discomfort that irritation 
But isn't it interesting that when we're unhealthy, we go through life angry and frustrated and sad and depressed, and it never occurs to us to stop and take the shoe off, to most of us. Now, I talk to a lot of people who do say that they you know, were like 10 years old, were in therapy and stuff like that. But to most of us, uh, and especially to me, it never occurred to me that that is not normal. That the very fact that I'm feeling angst and frustration and anger is trying to tell me, stop, take your shoe off and figure out where this is coming from, right? But angst and frustration and anger are not the base, are not, they're not the, um, the normal baseline for anybody. Anybody experiencing that needs to examine where that's coming from. So, uh, the person writes back, we'll talk about this a little bit more, and he says, I have autism, autism, which is a mental condition. Is it? Is it a mental condition? Are you sure that it's a mental condition? Who says that autism is a mental condition? Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. The same people who told me that borderline personality disorder is a mental condition. You see what I'm getting at here? Now, I'll, I'm going to go on record here and say that I'm not an autism expert. So I can't be dogmatic about anything. But the same community that says that borderline personality disorder is a mental condition, and it's not, it absolutely is not, 100% is not. You know, we've had this conversation a million times. If, if you're new to the show, go through the older episodes, find out why I say it's absolutely not. There's just no question about it. It's not a mental condition. But the same community of experts who say that borderline personality disorder is a, a mental condition when it's not are the same people that you have learned to view autism as a mental condition from. Again, I'm not an expert in autism, but I will tell you that that alone is enough to raise reasonable amounts of doubt within you and to not take their word at face value. So the person says, it makes it hard to behave appropriately in certain social environments. I also have depression, and uh, here's another correction I have to make. He says, which is an emotional disorder. Well, it depends on what kind of depression you're suffering from. It could be an emotional disorder. It could be a physical problem. We'll talk about physical problems and emotional problems here in a minute. Uh, but how do, how do you know that your depression is an emotional disorder? How do you know it's not a physical problem? See, I would be curious if this, if I were sitting down and having a conversation with this individual, that would be my question. How do you know that? Because, uh, and I'm suspecting that it's going to go back because a therapist told me so. 
Okay, but the therapist also, also says that borderline personality disorder is a mental illness. And we know that's not true. We know it's absolutely 100% not true. But they insist it is. And um, so anyway, we'll get into that conversation here in a little bit. He goes on to say, um, with your help, I was already able to fix some underlying wrong perspectives, but sometimes I think the underlying prop problem is simply autism. Okay, I would agree that autism is problematic, but it's not the problem. The problem would be whatever causes autism. Whatever creates autism, that's the problem, right? Autism is the headache. Whatever causes the autism is the cancer. He goes on to say, therefore I feel that what you are saying is inaccurate. First, not every, not every inappropriate behavior is abusive. In the case of autism, it's simply rude. All right, we're talking in some absolutes here for things that we can't speak in absolutes about. Inappropriate and rude. What are those two terms? Do they describe an innate truth? Nope. What do they describe? They describe an opinion, a subjective opinion. I'll give you an example. If I were sitting down with this individual, I'd want to know what, what he considers inappropriate. Now let me ask you this. What is inappropriate? Who says so? Who says a thing is inappropriate or not inappropriate? Doesn't it deserve one an observer's opinion? It's completely subjective. Now, you folks are coming up with arguments about why I'm, I'm wrong. Let me ask you this. Or let me, let me say this, rather. Let me state this as a truth and see how it goes over with you. Uh, women wearing pants in public is inappropriate. Do you agree with me or do you disagree with me? Well, most of you probably disagree with me in this day and age. But let's go back 150 years. Let's go back 100 years. Then, who would most agree with me or disagree with me? People would mostly agree with me, wouldn't they? That women wearing pants is inappropriate. So, it was inappropriate. 100 years ago according to a majority of people but it was still just based on opinion wasn't it so you know when, when people state flatly things and and state them flatly as a truth as an innate truth <clears throat> when it's a completely subjective thing for me that is a, a, a red flag that the person is also thinking flatly and not using critical thought as much as possible in other areas too. The person goes on to talk about um, torture, the torture of resisting behaving, I, I reckon, in uh, quote-unquote inappropriate ways. He talks about uh, his bachelor studies at university fixing the underlying problems he says would have made me quit earlier well we, you, we're talking about again two different 
we're not on the same page. When you're talking about, when this person is talking about fixing the underlying problems, he's talking about fake, white-knuckle, superficial approach, uh, just not behaving a certain way, right? Just fighting against his inclinations. That, I don't identify, I'm not identifying the same thing as the problem as you are, and I'm not identifying the fix as being the same thing that you are. Why? Because my idea of the underlying problem is whatever's causing the autism. Now, it's interesting to me that this, this has not even occurred to this person because the person is convinced that it is incurable, there's nothing he can do about it, it's a mental illness, it's a mental issue. And I'm even questioning that. You see, that's how you get to, that's how you get to resolve, resolution. <laughs> is You do not take things at face value that the professional community tells you. Let's go back to my borderline personality disorder. All of the literature, everybody, all the professionals, all the experts tell you the same thing. They categorize it the same way as they're categorizing this person's autism. Now, if I had known that, I didn't even know it. I'm glad I didn't. But if I had known it, would that not have had a, a powerful effect on me? Yeah, of course it would have. I would have said, well, then there's no reason than, than me even trying. I'll just assume that that is an unfixable problem, and I won't even try. But because I didn't know that, and because it's my nature to think in uh, critical ways, in questioning ways, I, you know, I, I just did not assume that it was a mental illness, because it's not a mental illness. It's an emotional disorder. But what folly it is to just completely throw your complete faith an organization that can't even get that right they can't even get it right that it's emotion it's an emotional disorder <clears throat> well let's talk about the two categories that I divide everything up into so anytime I'm having a conversation with a person there's only two categories relevant categories that I divide things up into even when I'm talking to somebody about depression all right so we're going to talk about that a little bit more the two categories physical and emotional those are the two categories physical and emotional the professional community that can't even get that thing right they can't even get that right they all the time are categorizing things that are just purely emotional in nature as mental in nature what is mental mental is physical it falls into the physical category physical includes anything that is of a, of a physical nature Mental illness falls into the physical category because it involves the functioning of your brain, of one's mental capacities. It's no different than your... Think about it like this, all right? Your car has several different systems uh, that it depends on in order for the car to function, correct? So you've got the, the mechanical aspect of the car. You've got the electrical aspect of the car. And now you've got the computerized aspect of the car. But when you're trying to diagnose a problem in a car, you know, that's what the uh, mechanic is going to do. He's going to ask you a few questions about what's wrong. And then based on what your answers are, what he's doing in his head is he's saying, okay, well, that sounds like an electrical problem, so I'm going to have to look into these things. Or based on what you say, he might say, well, that sure sounds to me like a mechanical problem. 
And based on what else he, you might say, he might say, he might say, yep, I know exactly what that is. That's a com- computer problem. So it's no different with me when I was starting to look at my own emotional, or let's say back before I knew what all that was, as I was looking at the issues that I were dealing with, that was the first step. I had to divide those things up, figure out what is the nature of the problem. They had me all believing that it was mental, that that was the nature of the problem, a mental problem. Well, what category does that fall in again? It falls into the physical category because a malfunctioning brain is a physical malfunction. It's a physical, there's something physically wrong. What's an emotional uh, disorder? Based completely on emotions, on our perspectives, learned perspectives, right? And attitudes. But anyway, uh, mental illness falls into the physical category. It involves the functioning of one's mental capacities. You know, you can't simply reason your way out of it because it's the very functioning capacities or capabilities that are themselves operating incorrectly. What are some other things that would be a physical problem? Cancer. Cancer is a physical problem. Poor eyesight. What kind of a problem does that? What category of the two? physical or emotional, what what category does poor eyesight fall into? It's a physical problem. So for all physical problems, some sort of physical solution is required. Real want to drive at home. For all physical problems, a physical solution is required. It might be an operation. It might be medication. It might be eyeglasses, an eyeglass prescription. You see, these are all physical, tangible things. And when we're talking about the physical, anything that falls into a physical category, isn't that what we're talking about? We're talking about tangible things. When we're talking about emotional, the emotional category, are we talking about tangible things? No, we're talking about intangible things, perspectives, attitudes, right? Even your feelings themselves are intangible. So... An emotional, any, anything that falls into the emotional category then, if, if you're going to address it, is any physical solution the answer? Not for emotional things. A pill is not going to fix perspectives and attitudes. Right? So any type of physical approach to an emotional problem is not going to work. On the flip side, any type of intangible approach to a physical problem is not going to work. You're starting to see what's important from the very beginning to separate things into physical and emotional. Emotional issues are rooted in learned perceptions and attitudes, as I've already said. Nothing physical is going to correct them. Not pills, not gene therapy not radiation treatment, nothing physical is going to address an emotional problem. An emotional problem is intangible by nature. It requires intangible solutions, which is reason, critical thought, uh, and a, a readjustment of attitudes and perspectives, education, right? Is education physical? 
or intangible. It's intangible. But it will correct and help emotional issues because emotional issues are intangible of themselves. So that's what I've been saying, right? The emotional issues have to be reasoned out. A physical solution will not fix an emotional problem. Just like an intangible solution won't fix a physical problem. Now here's the challenge with depression. Depression um, is very probable can be a natural result of either a physical issue or an emotional issue. But that's not all. It can be a natural result of both a physical issue and an emotional issue at the same time. As we've talked about this in the past, um, I experienced tremendous depression with borderline personality disorder. But once I addressed those underlying emotional issues, the perspectives and attitudes that I was raised with and was educated with, once I corrected those, that depression went away entirely. But now here's another thing that I've mentioned to you in the past, and that is seasonal depression, right? When the sunlight changes and I'm not getting enough sunlight or UV exposure, I experience a melancholy that is depression. It's not as severe as the depression, the other type of depression that I experienced with uh, borderline personality disorder, but it still affects me. So there are two examples, two examples. In one person, two types of depression, both different types of depression with completely different causes in those two categories. Do you see what I'm saying? The depression that came with borderline personality disorder was emotional in nature. It was based on my perspectives, my attitudes, my interpretation of life in the world, particularly about human value and the value of feelings, the nature of that, right? So was that a, a physical solution to, to eliminate in that depression? No. No, there was no pill I could take that's going to make me perceive differently what I have learned how I have learned to perceive things it required an intangible solution right me reasoning critical thought education a readjustment of perspectives and attitudes but then on the within my very same body I have another depression which comes about with the change of seasons typically from summer into winter uh, when the light you know the 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 strength of UV light is not uh, what it has been. Is that an emotional problem or is that a physical problem? It's a physical problem, right? It's how my body takes in sunlight and uses that sunlight or those UV rays or vitamin D or whatever it is. So in one example there, you've got two different types of depression, one based on the physical, the other based on the intangible or the emotional. So do you see why this is not unusual at all for a person to be walking around thinking, well, I'm just depressed all the time and these pills aren't helping me. Well, maybe the pills aren't helping you or the, or the sun lamp is not helping you because you're not just living with the physical type of depression. Maybe you're also experiencing depression from emotional issues which are 
rooted in your foundation, perspectives, attitudes, beliefs, understanding of life in the world. So if depression is only a natural result of emotional issues, that can be completely eliminated. That type of depression can be completely eliminated through the correction of unhealthy attitudes and unhealthy fundamental perceptions. If depression is only a natural result of uh, a physical issue, now remember, mental issues, chemical imbalances, all these things fall into the physical category, right? Mental issues deal with the way that your brain functions, just like the mechanical part of the engine of your car. Chemical imbalances. I mean, you can. We could divide these things up into a lot of different categories, but pointlessly so, because the only thing really that we need to know in order to get a really firm foot in the right direction is to is those two categories. So, chemical imbalance would fall into the physical category. Right there, you know that this is going to require a physical approach a physical solution. A chemical imbalance is not something you can just reason yourself out of, can't, is it? Because that only applies, that type of solution only applies to the intangible, which is emotional, emotional health, emotional disorder. But, you know, that type of depression, which is falls into the physical category, might need medications, might need treatments, might need Vitamin D, a sun lamp, could, could require any sorts of these physical treatments. Now, what happens is if depression is both physical and emotional? So, persons living with both types. Well, then the physical approaches are only going to address the physical part, right? A physical approach is only going to address one half of the depression that you're dealing with. Person might still be depressed and not understand why medications not completely fix the problem. And the answer, of course, could be that the, the person has not addressed the emotional depression that is coexisting. Now, I'll admit to you, again, that I don't know enough about autism to make dogmatic statements about it, but I do know enough about autism, and I certainly know enough about the professional community to have reasonable doubts that it is purely a physical issue. That is to say, a mental illness or mental anything as the professional community claims and I can say this again <clears throat> as somebody who knows very well just how far off the mark these people are in both large and small things in other areas not just in other areas but in other areas where they have no acceptable excuse for being so incompetent and wrong. Their conclusions are what I prefer to use as a starting point rather than something I just accept at face value or in blind faith. Think about how <clears throat> you folks who have autism, if you, if you were to question that, question the professional community's conclusion that it's a mental thing, you might be the one. You might be the one to escape from it, for real, just as I did with borderline personality disorder. You might be one of the very first to do that and then be able to to be helping people gain accurate insights, just as I'm helping people do. But, you know, 
as far as like uh, giving your blind faith to the professional community just because just because they say so they have not earned that in real life they've not in any way shape or form demonstrated any earning of that sort of confidence from the public and the conclusions that they reach they're given it but they're given it blindly um, this was just in this has been in the news here the last couple days have you heard about this the te uh, telegraph from the UK has a story on it today depression is not caused by chemical imbalance uh, here's just some excerpts from the article depression is not a chemical imbalance in the brain and scientists have no idea how antidepressants work a review by the University College London has concluded uh, again this is from the Telegraph by Sarah Napton who is the science editor July 20th 2022 the article goes on to say although one in six adults in England are currently prescribed antidepressants most of which act by maintaining serotonin levels the new analysis suggests depression is not actually caused by low levels of serotonin instead depression may be more strongly equated with negative life events which lower mood wow takes a team of scientists to reach this conclusion that I come up with on my own without doing a single study <clears throat> in my own experience recovering from borderline personality disorder and now being able to look back and understand exactly what I was doing to myself all those years unconsciously and subconsciously didn't even know I was doing it since the 1990s antidepressant use has grown alongside the theory the theory that the drugs establish correct levels of chemicals in the brain but researchers say <clears throat> that is completely unfounded lead author Joanna Moncrief a professor of psychiatry at UCL says I think we can safely say that after a vast amount of research conducted over several decades there is no convincing evidence that depression is caused by serotonin abnormalities particularly by lower levels or reduced activity of serotonin uh, many people take antidepressants because they have been led to believe their depression has a biochemical cause but this research su suggests this belief is not grounded in evidence <clears throat> um, and I saw this person make a comment on uh, Twitter and I'll tell you who they are but I, I, I'm going to tell you also I don't know who they are so I'm hesitant to quote somebody that I don't even know their, their reputation or anything but Reva uh, at Reva Tez <clears throat> on Twitter said chemical imbalance was only a theory for depression causation yet it was presented as facts to simplify a narrative in order to prescribe the, these medications now it's convenient that this goes along with our topic today, doesn't it? In two different ways. You can't trust people blindly. I know you say, well, they're psychi They're not people, they're psychiatrists. Okay, but they're people first. They're people first. And I'm telling you that everything, my, my entire recovery from borderline personality disorder was not thanks to them. There were some individuals within that community that helped me get just a couple of breakthroughs very early on 
but then I had to do the rest of the work on my own. Um, and I would say that that, that is going to be the truth, too, for anybody, anybody who wants to actually rid themselves of issues that they're dealt with. They're going to have to, at some point, stop sucking on the, the teat of these psychologists and, and therapists. And while at the same time, you know, I'm, I don't want to uh, discourage you from seeking out their help because they are better than nothing. And they do serve a purpose. But uh, throwing your blind faith toward them is, is not the way to go about it. You want to take what you can from them, what's useful and helpful, uh, with a grain of salt and with a lot of skepticism, and as a starting off point. That's what you want. You want it to be a starting off point that you can analyze, break down, build around, uh, layer upon, and so forth. But as far as the last symptom goes, remember that in all cases, I've it's always been my my teaching not to be fooled by symptoms not to get misdirected by symptoms all oh, this this headache sure is a, a serious problem uh, my husband yelling at me sure is a big problem no no those are problematic things they sure are problematic and not pleasant but they're not the problem and viewing them as the problem ain't going to get you nowhere why what is generating the feelings of anger and discontent that then translate into abusive behaviors and language and those sorts of things. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, sure it is. Where are these headaches coming from? It's not normal to walk around with a headache all the time. It's, it's, it's not the normal baseline for anybody. It's got to be coming from somewhere. And then, of course, the two categories. Are we, are we looking at a physical problem here or are we looking at an in, intangible problem here uh, or an emotional problem? So, by the way, this person in his uh, comment spoke of rude behaviors and stuff. And, you know, going back to subjective and relative, a lot of people may <clears throat> interpret my manner of handling certain things or of speaking as rude and inappropriate but I don't live my life based on what other people might think or what their opinions might be that is not how I live my life why not because I don't have any control over what your opinions are I don't have any authority over what your opinions are I don't have any responsibility over what your opinions are or might be so I don't take upon myself the responsibility for what other people might think, feel, or their behavior, such as how they react. I don't even concern myself with it. Who are responsible for those things? They are, not me. I'm only responsible for my own thoughts, feelings, reactions, opinions, all, this, all these things. If I were to live my life defining everything in my life based on what I think other people's opinions are, Whose life would I be living? So if if my notions of what is rude or inappropriate are based on what I think your notions of rude and inappropriate are, whose life am I living? I'm living your life, aren't I? I'm just I'm trying to be an extension of you. 
Now what happens if I myself am the one who determined for myself what is inappropriate or rude? Then I'm living my life, aren't I? I'm living for myself. This is something you might want to write down. It's not my responsibility to not offend people. Now, it might be hard to swallow in today's world, but that's the truth. What is my responsibility? My responsibility is only to not intend to offend. Do you see the difference? A lot of people would say that it's your responsibility not to offend people. Why, cannot, why is that not reasonable? Why is not, that not based in real life? Well, it's because I'm not other people. <laughs> I've got no responsibility over their feelings and their thoughts and, and the, how their reactions and these sorts of things. I only have control over myself. So if I can't control how you receive a thing, what can I control? I can only control what my intentions are when I say a thing, right? Or in my behavior. I, can, I cannot control how you feel. I can only control what I intend. So again, I'll say it's not my responsibility to not offend because offense is what happens on the other side. <laughs> It's the responsibility of other people. It's all up to them how they feel upon me saying a thing. The only thing I have control over is what my intentions are. So it's only my respons responsibility to not intend to offend. So that's the that's the the principle. I can say anything that I feel needs to be said as long as I do it calmly and I do it with no intent to offend. But, you know, people will get offended at, at, at anything. <laughs> there are things I've said in this show that people will get offended at. It's okay. Um, got no control over that. The only person who has to be pleased with what I've said and the way I've said it is me. Right? And the fact that I did it calmly with no intent to offend anybody, that's my only responsibility. How a person takes it or receives it, it's, uh, it's not up to me. So there's no such thing as a thing being innately offensive or rude if you think about it. That also is probably hard to believe, but it's true because it's all relative and subjective. The concept of rude requires some observer and who's responsible for the way that that observer feels upon observing a thing. Is it you? No, it, you have no power to affect how they think or feel or what their opinions are or anything like that. You have no control over that. You have no responsibility over that. Because it's a subjective thing and I've got no control or responsibility over it at all, out of ten people, five might perceive something I say or do as rude or offensive and the other five may not. And none of them are wrong, but neither are any of them right because it's a subjective, a subjective thing. It, it requires an observer and it requires feelings. How do they feel upon observing this thing, right? So that's something to think about. I'm in no way responsible for their personal opinions, feelings, so forth. They are. And um, it's a simple matter of interpretation and opinion on the part of any observer. Go back to the ladies in pants question is that offensive well it was a hundred years ago to lots of people was it innately offensive no <laughs> no that was still based on opinion 
Um, if it were innately offensive, then it would still be offensive to everybody, to everybody and everything. But do you ever get that? I mean, I watch, I can't even turn on the TV these days and not see something offensive. Uh, but why is it on TV at all? If, if it were innately offensive, why is it on TV at all? The only reason it's on TV at all is because it's not innately offensive. There are a lot of people, millions of people, who watch that and go, yeah, I love, I love seeing this sort of thing in my entertainment. While I'm sitting there, me and, and millions of other people are sitting there going, why did they have to put this in here? That doesn't need to be on TV. You see? So is it offensive? It depends on who you ask. Right? Well, folks, I had so much more to talk about. I mean, I didn't even get to scratch the surface, but I wanted to get a show out here real quick. I got some things I need to do. And um, so a little distracted by distractions in my environment here with dogs and cats. But I hope you enjoy the show. hope you guys do something real nice for yourselves this weekend. And uh, next week, let's talk some about shame, what you say and some other good things. You folks take care. Trailers for sale around Rooms to let 50 cents No phone for no bed Ain't got no cigarettes I'm a two-hours of pushing Rising eight by twelve four-bedroom I'm a man of means by no means King of the road Two hours of pushing, rising, eight by twelve for it.